You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. You just called him Brack. Are you guys like boys? Is that is that your nickname for him, Chad? Um, I guess for, for, yeah, uh, way back about 12 seconds ago. That's right. <laughs> my my recording you. only says we're 10, 10 seconds in. Do you guys know each other? Have you guys met anywhere before? Because you're kind of in the same hood. Chad, you're in Chicago, which feels close to Milwaukee. But no, you haven't met? We met. I don't think Bracken remembers because he was, uh, you know, podiuming it up in the elite uh, waves back in 2018. But we did meet. He was, I believe, Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. 2018, it was uh, uh, was a national series race. Mud galore. You were there, I believe. You took. You ran day two or third. I don't think it was a national series race. Because I didn't run that year. No, you ran day two in a national series race, didn't you? I don't know. It's so long ago. It's another lifetime. I I believe it was day two. And and it was like second or third. You were on the podium. I just happened to catch the podium. And that was my first year. Hmm. And I remember seeing this guy up on the podium with these enormous quads. And I'm like, who's this guy? And uh, you came down, you were talking to a bunch of people, and I just kind of briefly said, hey, man, congratulations. And you're like, yeah, thanks, man. You were very nice. And then we went on our way. But that was it. Well, you know how to grease me up. Just give me body compliments. (laughs) That's all it takes. Speaking of body compliments, if you want to, if you want to, you know, you should never play the comparison game because that ends poorly for everybody. But one guy you don't want to do that with is Chad. Don't want to do that with Chad. Chad was chiseled out of granite somewhere, probably by a Greek god. Where where did that, who chiseled you? Where did that come from? Not hard work and consistency. Who brought the butter out for sure? Listen. Plus, he's Maybe got a shoe wall going on behind me. Do I see some Nike Zoom rivals behind me? Oh, those are rivals. You hit it right on the money. Um, yeah. So I had to do this. We're we're in um, production right now for uh, my home office. And this is what you, you guys got, this glorious concrete and uh, insulated wall with a room divider. Isn't that great? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but Bracken, I wanted to do I've this. Heard- Sorry to interrupt, but Chad is the reason we got the Speedland shoes. Hmm. Now you yeah. can put the face of the name. He's going to pull them out, isn't he? Do you got them right there? Here. So Chad's the guy I need to chat with. HSPs. <laughs> These showed up with no marking, like no notes. I didn't know where they came from. And usually when we get something from a company, there's a some sort of note inside of it. <clears throat> Like, hey, Those thanks for trying from... these out, or here's what we're looking for, or, or try this, or any question. It was just a blank box. I, I didn't. They came out of the heavens. Yeah, those are from uh, Dave at Speedland. Awesome. He, I, I don't know him personally. I've never met him. A uh, super kind guy. Um, I saw some of the athletes were running Speedlands, and they looked. I mean, just the appeal of looking at them, they look mm-hmm. very sexy. I love them. 
uh, now having the shoes and worn them, uh, I, I love them. Uh, they're a great shoe. But I reached out to him and I said, hey, what do you think about sending a couple pairs out to these guys and having them try? I know you're, uh, you know, like the shoe guru, Bracken. So he was up for it. Um, and, and that's as easy as that. He wanted you to have them. And it, it was a pleasure for him to be able to do that for you guys. Well, I appreciate it. I'm going to have to reach out and find Dave now because they were too small for me. These are brand new, you can, unworn. Well, send them back. He'll send you a new pair, I'm sure. I will. I just didn't know where to send them. There was no, there was no marking to send. So anyway, it was it was a fantastic surprise, and then I didn't know who to thank, and so here we are. So I guess thank you. Well, I told you they were coming, but I don't think we put the full connection together. Mine fit perfectly. My size was was great. In fact, I wore those shoes. My speedlands when they came in for a two-hour ski hill workout, dialed them in, literally dialed them in. I think that's what you would call it, right, with the yeah, dials the on Boa the side? Dials. The BOA dials. Mm-hmm. Um, and had to tighten them one time, not one blister, not one hot spot. The only thing is that I got to get them dialed in because when I was descending fast, I had a little I had a little shifting in there. But um, to wear a shoe for two hours out of the gates and not have any hot spots or problems going up and down only, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's fantastic. I think that yeah. dual boa dial is should be on every trail and mountain shoe in the world. Agreed. Yeah, absolutely. And they feel one, a lot lighter than they than they look. Like you don't look at it and be like, "Oh, this is going to feel like a racing type shoe." When you put it on, you put it on, you're like, "Oh, this this feels much lighter than it appears." Like it's it heavy in like hand, was, but not on foot. Yeah. Um, okay, let's uh, let's talk about Chad. A little bit. Chad, do you know why I reached out to you about about this episode today? Why you why you were the one I first thought of in reaching out to? I really don't. Uh-oh, here guess? it comes. You said it's going to be a big surprise. I did not say that. Big su- Did I say big surprise? I did not say big surprise. You said you're going to leave it open. <clears throat> you know, you're going to leave it open. Yeah, Chad asked for an itinerary. Chad asked for an itinerary of questions. I was like, we don't do that oh. here. We don't <laughs> even know what we're gonna ask yet. <laughs> um, I'm a very planned individual. I like to know what I'm up against, but this is cool. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, we've had enough discussions, Chad. I know you can work on the fly. So, um, so Chad uh, Coleman is an athlete of mine. You reside in the burbs of Chicago, right? Yes. Um. Just to give everybody a little bit of a bio on you, just a quick one. Um, you are predominantly an age group athlete, although you dip into elite races sometimes in other circuits, have done very well, whether it's in national series races, um, non-series races. Um, you're a go-getter, I would say, as far as competing goes. You've had success in high rocks now. You're kind of one of the bigger, stronger endurance athletes that I have that is very well-rounded. Because of that, you also, um, because you have your hands in so many cookie jars, I feel like you have really made, um, you've made sense and friends in the age group realm. I feel like you are, you're sort of like, when I think of like my age group athletes, um, you are always with the dudes or the girls or the community and you have a really good point of view of what it's like being a top end age grouper in sport. And so what my hope was for you today, which I guess we didn't, I didn't tell you is one, I want to get to know you. 
um, beyond what I already do. And we've been working together for how long, Chad? Almost two years. Mm, year and a half. Two year years. Half. Yeah. Um, and also um, get your perspective on what it is like from the inside. Bracken and I can't do that. As much as we would like to, we can't because we've been running in the elite races, and I really feel the heart of the community is in the age group. Uh, and I feel like you're somebody who's really embraced the, the age group community and been proud of it, as you should be. And so right. I figure diving into all of those, we've had a big request for age group athletes, haven't we, Bracken? Like everybody wants to hear more from yeah. age group athletes. And they're sick of us. They are. And, and we just – and I'll stop with the rambling here shortly, but I just saw like all your posts from – High Rocks that you had just done and thinking about, you've been kind of reflective over racing recently, I would say, like personally, um, which is yeah. a great thing. And so I think it's just a good time to chat it all out, brother. That's what I want. That's what you're here for today. How do you feel about that? Yeah, that's all That's all true. Great stuff. Uh, I appreciate the compliments. I'm, I'm just uh, enjoying uh, the community. And that's really, if you were to sum everything up into age group, it's it's the word community. And I, I believe that uh, many or all of my age group athletes, besides the physical work that we endure, it is the community that makes us travel, uh, you know, jump on these planes, spend all the money, sign up. Uh, we encourage one another. We... Um, just get behind one another, uh, and it's really something special. It's it's a family out there. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can expand off of that, but that's the core of it. It seems to be the theme, theme that brings people around. Because they, I would say the age group diehards travel more than the high end pro or elite diehards travel. It, it's it's the community. Mm -hmm. Whenever like. I have a couple of athletes who I would consider good representations of the age group athlete. And whenever I give them a call the day before a race, they're with other people. When you call me the day before the race, I'm with myself or the person I'm rooming with. And that's it. Mm. And when I call them, it's like, oh, hey, yeah. And then they're chatting in the background and they're, sorry, sorry, someone just ran by. And they'll camp at the same spot or they'll room at the same areas. It's a traveling community. And that's always struck me as special. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. I mean, we're, uh, we will contact each other and get together. Um, I think that there's maybe different levels of the community. Um, and I'm in the level of like, I'm going to a race, I'm going there, uh, I'm going there to win, I'm going there to compete. So we're not going out and, you know, drinking beers or having huge steaks or whatever the case may be before the race. Uh, we're taking it seriously, but yeah, staying with each other, Airbnb in it, uh, you know, meeting up early before the race, uh, getting our warm up in with each other. Uh, there's a group of guys, uh, that I can go into, um, as well, but a group of guys around me, uh, that kind of have formed our own kind of little circle that's expanded, um, pretty large and uh we'll get together we'll train together we'll have sims together and races out of our own homes in fact in 2020 uh, a group of uh three of us we kind of teamed up when COVID hit and we're looking at each other like well what do we do there's no races there there's nothing to do uh what 
I mean, this is, this is what we're about. We've, we've got to put our sights on something. We want to look forward to a race. You know, that kind of gives us purpose and, and meaning to do what we're doing in the gym every day and, and on the road and on the trails. So we set up a, uh, uh, like an age group series between all three of our homes and we set the dates. There were, I want to say like four or five races. And we had a good turnout, 15, 20 people, maybe with, you know, wives and kids and things like that. We had maybe 30. That's uh, more than some uh, regional Spartan race start lines. (laughs) True. It was getting pretty big, but that's what I mean by the community. And other people found out about it. We had uh, some age groupers traveling from uh, North South Carolina uh, Florida, uh, Bruce Jackson came up. You guys are familiar with him. Um, and, uh, Missouri, uh, Indiana, Michigan all came to Illinois, uh, to do these races with us. And I mean, beast and super distances. And then our championship was a trifecta, but I mean, that's what I mean by the community is, is we're real tight. Um, we even had, that's what that metal is here in back of me. Uh, it's kind of in the, uh, looks like a sun and we have all of our names on it. So Mike Clift, Matt Cordy, and then myself. Um, so Clift kind of chose a word, which was character. Matt Cordy was perseverance and mine was faith. Um, and we kind of, you know, bonded over that and had this series it was it was fantastic but you know even with spartan races or high rocks or these local ocr races that we go to uh there's always you know a group of racers and we're encouraging the new racers uh you'll always find you know folks like uh colderosa and um ireland and uh myself and clift and we're all kind of encouraging these new open athletes, you know, coming in. They have a lot of questions. It's it's just like a a big circle or uh, like this big box with an open door, and anybody can come in. And we kind of, you know, pride ourselves on being able to help others out where we were at. I would say anybody who uh, puts on their own trifecta weekend is pretty infused in the community. That must have been just before we started working together then, huh? Yes, right at the right when we started, we were finishing that. Finishing that up, yeah, that's right. Because I remember you alluding to it, but I don't think we were maybe together when that had happened. Um, okay, so there is a ton. I don't know about you, Brad, but there's a lot of actually specific questions I have about your take on some age group things. Um, the community uh, touching on a few points you just made, actually. I want to get into that in the latter two-thirds, but I think we need to know who Chad is real quick so we can build some depth to what you're about to talk about. So, um, uh, And if you're wondering, Bracken, Chad's always wearing the donut hat. The donut hat is a staple for Chad. Love what it. brand is that? This is a Sprints. And what is the significance of the donut hat? So it's kind of like reverse sight. Reverse psychology, you know. I look at the donuts and I feel satisfied. Therefore, I don't need to eat one. That is not the way I work. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> it makes no, you want I, it more, right? Yeah, I would want it. If I see it, I want it. What I don't crave donuts hat? ever, but if I see a what donut. What about a broccoli hat? hat? What would that what would that do to you? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> would you want broccoli or no? Maybe. Not work that way. <laughs> All right. I'm I'm a seafood, eat food type of person. That's where my cravings come from generally. You shouldn't That's eat hats. I don't I what? Eat. Shouldn't eat hats. You shouldn't eat hats. I, I don't think. litter. Like I don't eat billboards, but they they're effective on me. <laughs> Makes okay. you want to stop, right? That's why why they're there. Well, maybe they should have an asparagus hat, right? Sprints, if you're out there, asparagus hat. I like asparagus. There you go. All right. I'm sure. Th- I'm sure we could find something. I got peapod underwear just came in the mail, so they they you know peapod. Yeah, I bought this pack of underwear from H and M. That's more my preferred underwear choice, and they're. I didn't know what they were. I just bought them. Whatever they had left, it was pea pods, radishes, and onions. That's <laughs> a nice combo. That sounds too. <laughs> you really do. When are you going to wear yeah. those? Oh, just in special moments. I'm trying to look my best, obviously. Yeah. Oh. Enough about them. They're separate. It's a pea pod set, an onion set, and a radish set. They're not all in the same. It's very you know, specific. But um, All right. Enough about that. Uh, Chad. Let's talk about you real quick, man. What are you current date? What are you doing? What is give us the snapshot of your life today, and then let's just let's do a, an abbreviated, um, not abbreviated, but um, touch point on like uh, how you got to today. So today, what what do you do? Where do you live? Tell us about your life, family, that sort of thing. All right, so Chad Coleman, I'm 42. Um, I live in Huntley, uh, Lakewood, Crystal Lake, Illinois. It's about 45, 50 minutes outside Chicago, northwest suburbs. So on your way up from Rockford, and then uh, uh, and then you're into Wisconsin after that. So um, probably the last big city before you get into cornfields. Um, so I uh, own a business. Uh, we work on European cars. So everything European, BMW, Mercedes, Audi, Volkswagen, and we do performance as well on specifically BMW. So I run the business myself, 100%, no partners, nothing like that. We have three kids, uh, 20, 15, and 12. Uh, my wife homeschools all three of them. We are active in the community, church. Um, we, uh, I obviously do a lot of uh, fitness and, and races, and uh, that's a big part of my life as well. Um, just being active with the family and, um, you know, daily daily routine, basically. So there's a lot. There's a lot to fit in with that and making it work. Um, but um, but it's, it's good. Uh, there's, there's a real fine line, and the margins are thin, right? But... I try to build in a little bit of margin here and there, but it's a full life, you know, uh, but it's a, it's a very fulfilled life and, and I'm enjoying it. So that's today. That's what today looks like for me. How old are you? 42. You're young looking 42. You said you had a 20 year old kid. I thought you either got started earlier. You're, you defied the uh, father time here. Well, both, I would say. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, we started early. I was 22 when we had our first. Okay. Um, you know what I find interesting about this, and I don't mean to get ahead of ourselves here, but um, Chad and I have had some really good, I would say good revelations in the last six months, haven't we, in our coaching Absolutely. athlete 
and then you um, you coming to a lot of self-realization with balance. We did an episode not too long ago about like filling your cup in other ways or seasons of life, we will call it, and having more to what we do then. Spartan racing or ra- training, you know, it's not always nose to the grindstone. And with all the things you mentioned, like you have a busy business, like you are always at work. It feels like, like you're mm-hmm. putting in the time. You're right. a present father and husband. You're active in your church. You're somehow making time. But what we did to get dialed in, what you did, I'm just a, a innocent viewer of this, is that you realized that sacrifices need to and don't need to be made. Like I want you to touch on the fact that we realized that backing off was almost the key to your success in some recent jumps in fitness you've had. You're 42, and can you say that you felt the best you have and performed the best you have in years? Because that's what I've seen lately, and it's only because we started to not be so hardcore, but be more intuitive and allow the balance to happen. Like, can you talk about what we've sort of uncovered lately in that regard? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's a lot there, Kirk. Um, uh, there is a lot of uh, kind of uh, learning about oneself and uh, listening to your body, understanding yourself, like, what is the real purpose for my life? Um, what is going on with my life? How much can I handle? What is the bandwidth? Where do we need to accelerate where do we need to back off i mean there's been a lot of that like you said within the past i would say year um and right i had a bad uh covid experience and i got back on track but i'd say you know this season in my life kind of started when that part ended um so i really had to step back and evaluate like what am i doing um Am I uh, spending my time wisely in these areas? Am I am I doing too much here, etc.? So, um, I guess we can start with that. Uh, COVID left me pretty much just drained for a month, and to where I finally got back to running, and I've got this uh, path that I go to that I'll run my you know, uh, Saturday, 10 miler long run, whatever the case may be. But that, that day I'm like, okay, I'm feeling better. I'm going to go onto the trail and I'm going to run 10 miles. So my wife came with me, I was running and it was just, it was awful. The pacing, the, the way I felt my heart rate was just like redlining. And I'm going, man, I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm jogging and, and this is where I'm at. And like all of these emotions kind of came over me. Uh, and I just stopped in the middle of the trail. Uh, my wife stopped there. She usually rides with me when I run, uh, rides her bike. And she's like, what's wrong? And I just, I just like started crying. And, you know, she's, she's hugging me. We're in the middle of a trail. It's a, like a beautiful day out. Uh, it was June. And, and I'm like, just all this work and, you know, uh, all this training and, and then this, like, you know, this is just a feel sorry for you moment. 
And Kirk and I had a conversation after that. And I'm like, man, I don't know. I think I can't, I can't keep, keep pushing this hard. I need to like back off and reevaluate. And that's what we did. That was, and that was the start of kind of a restructure. But I feel like we, and you guys have said this on your podcast before, but you know, in, in our lives, we're going to have seasons to where we need to pivot and we need to, to move or steer that rudder a, a different direction or stand back and take a rest, reflect on um, what's going on around us and in our lives because our lives change. And that's what we did. And we kind of went backwards a little bit and kind of settled down and then started metering it back up again. And, uh, you know, by, uh, you know, everything kind of came together. I worked the COVIDotomy, you know, the, the, the remnant, uh, whatever was going on inside of my body. I still have like memory issues and memory loss and stuff like that. But, um, but by all means, it's not bad. Like I'm almost a hundred percent. Uh, and that was a year and a half ago, uh, May of 2021. So, um, you know, uh, Kirk and I kind of, what was it like? December of 2021, I'm like, all right, I want to hit a strong uh, block base base of training. So let's go over that. So we did, and we hit that base for probably three and a half to four months, mm. just like putting in the work and building that foundation. And, um, and uh, then I went to Big Bear in 2022. And Big Bear sucked the life out of me, as it did the previous time as well. I'm not that great at altitude. It just doesn't work. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, we got done with Big Bear and kind of came back and, and took another couple of weeks off. And then the fitness just popped. It was just we were a little early. We were a little early. And then the fitness started popping. And then we ran with it, and fitness has been uh, very strong since then. Um, but yeah, it's it's just uh, you know kind of pull yourself back, reflect, um, and see where you really want to go. See see what you want to do. Is it all about uh, you know fame or the the limelight or you know what can I? show forth and and that's where I'm really kind of changing the way I look at things right now as far as well my whole life but fitness included and racing is what is going to give me the most fulfillment out of my life how can I be a fulfillment to those around me my business my family my friends is this taking everything out of me just to train for a uh, hundred mile Leadville next year and, and what that's going to have to, um, how that's going to change my lifestyle or do I pick this path and, um, I have more time. It's easier to figure out my body responds to this better. I've already been doing this and I think that this is fun. Um, it's, you know, decisions like that that I've been going through lately. So that 
that day on the bike path, why did that hit you so hard? You're just coming back off COVID. I had a rough COVID. A lot of people had some worse, some not so bad, but you know, we, we had those moments. Why did yours hit you so hard that it brought you to the stop and to tears? What was it about it? I think that I had too much pride in my running and my ability and where I saw myself going. Where was that? Where'd you see yourself going? Where was like that? at that point, what did you, what have you built up in you know, that, that sense of like your belief of your, your, your self image, where was that going? Right. Well, first I think you have to understand like the type of person I am. When I set my mind to something, it's done. It's, it's written in stone. I'm doing it. Um, and there's, there's good to that. And there's also, you know, bad as well as being that rigid, um, so that was just a moment where I'm kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm, you know, almost praying out, lo- out loud, like, Lord, I'm defeated. I feel defeated here. Um, this is what I want. You know, this is prideful. This is what I want. And I'm not allowed to do it. And it's bringing a lot of emotion to me. So it, it, uh, it, you know, kicked me back down where I needed to go, um, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and made me really, you know, think about what is truly, you know, important in your life and how do you want to spend it? Hmm. And that's the, all, the flood of emotions just going through all at one time. Yeah. Okay. Prior to COVID, prior to that bout with COVID, what was the, the most recent previous setback physically? Have you had a catastrophic injury or a series of setbacks? What was the the next biggest one on your timeline? Oh yeah, that gets into um, that gets into a time in my life where I, I'd like to talk about, but briefly, uh, it was um, probably in 2010, so ten years before that, okay. and it was more it was more like you know, psychological and, and just bad things going on in my life at that point, but really no setbacks, nothing. You went from 30 to 40 with no setbacks. Yes. Physically. Yeah. Yeah. What I recall about this is because we had talked, um, and you said, Kirk, I don't know what I'm even doing anymore, man. You said, I might need to check out for a little bit. I'm, I need to reprioritize what's important to me. And I don't know if that includes racing or committing as intently as I have been. Remember, you remember that conversation? It was brief. I mean, and it was, you just sorted yeah. it out. But what my takeaway from, um, it's good to have what you call those coming to Jesus moments for long-term development, right? But it's really sucks at the moment, right? Nothing is earned yeah. that really sinks in, right? Or nothing nothing comes easy that, that sticks. Um, but that was a thing, and I'm t- telling you from the outside looking in, is you were being everything for everybody, your work, yourself, your wife, your kids. You were doing everything at maximum capacity, and something had to give. And that was your moment in which you were stripped down, and it was like, it's the floodgate open, it gave away. And since that moment on that trail, 
You have prioritized things in a different way. You have trained less since that moment. Overall, you have chosen a family vacation. You have said, hey, my body's tired because of life. I'm going to take this. I'm changing the script this week. You have done less and you have received more on the fitness gains front. And there's no mystery to that, in my opinion. And, and I'm not saying you're not working hard because you're working your butt off. But I'm saying you're making sure your bucket doesn't overflow anymore, trying to be everything for everybody, do it, being the best. You're the, a perfectionist. You're the best at everything you do. You're the best dad and the best business owner. And you finally just said, you know what? Uh, some things need to give. And if it's training, that's fine. And guess what's happened? You're the most fit you've ever been because you just stopped having the throttle down in every area of your life. That's what I have seen. I think that moment on the trail for you made you realize that you don't have to push through all the time. In fact, it's smart not to put energy into other things for periods of time. Do you agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I would agree. Can you still hear me? It looks like I froze there. No, you're good. Mm -hmm. oh, yep. Okay. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would um, m maybe tweak it a little bit and say that as far as my training, I haven't done uh, necessarily less, but I demand less out of myself. So the training looks the same. I restructured my day uh, to be able to fit in training early in the morning. Uh, also, when I come into work as well. Um, my, I've got uh, three days in and I've got two days now at home to where I work out of the house. So it gives me more flexibility to get things done to where I'm not uh, running into like no margin in my life. And um, everybody, I, I feel like everybody needs margin. Um, you need a trip. You need to get away. You need those times to where you're just with your with your wife. You're on a date night. You're with your kids, just hanging out, watching a movie or relaxing, not doing anything all day Sunday. Um you know, stuff like that. So I still do the same amount of work. It's just now I listen to my body. And if I'm, if I have a programmed, you know, uh, it's a Tuesday, it's, it's a, um, you know, purposeful and hard workout. Uh, if I'm feeling it, I'm going to send it. If I am not feeling it, I don't feel bad about it and I'll get it a different time. So I'm really just training intuitively, yeah, a little bit more. Has there been a drawback to that yet? Um, no, there hasn't. It's only been good. Would you expect there to be Bracken? The Not at this thing? stage, no. No, I think that the uh, the early stage intuitive trainer is in trouble because you can get into habits you're not prepared to handle yet. But if you've put in years and years of work, maybe more work than needed, then you start going intuitive and you can afford to go overboard certain weeks or underboard certain weeks. And it's it's buoyed by what you've done in the past. Nothing's nothing's unprepared for that intuitive nature of training. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The way I see it can't come out would be more like it's Tuesday and let's just use mile repeats, for example, which I don't prescribe very often, but. It'd be like, you know what? I'm working at a six and a half or a seven today. I'm going to maybe do it, but I am not 
my expectations are going to be changed. And after the workout is done, I know I'm better than this, but it's not going to affect my psyche. I'm going to understand that other parts of whatever's going on is the reason why I need to back off today. And then the next time you feel good, you go and hit your metrics or it doesn't affect, doesn't affect your mentality from what I understand. Like now you understand the ebb and flow, like life took it out of me. Training and combination took it out of me. Today, I'm going to accept that it's just going to be a 7 out of 10 effort or a 6 out of 10 effort, but it doesn't sink in. It's like, I know I'm not that. I just know that that's what I needed to be today. That's what I'm sensing is what what you've been doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest things um, that I just thought of uh, is uh, when I am doing uh, an intense workout uh, on that Tuesday or Saturday or whatever the case may be, um, before I would, I do my warm up, and then I would just a hundred percent into that, um, into that specific workout, right? So if we're doing mile repeats, uh, hard, I would hit that first mile, uh, maybe not as hard as I could, but I knew the proper pacing uh, that I needed to hit in that particular uh terrain or whatever I was on, track, road, wind, things of that nature. I, I know where I should be and I would hit that pace, if not even harder. And it would extend me a hundred, a hundred and ten percent through the course of the whole workout. And that doesn't give you a chance to really step back and evaluate, okay, how did that first one feel? That first one sucked. How did that second one feel? That second one sucked, right? And then it's just like uh, a big rock rolling downhill, man. You can't stop it. You're done. So what I learned is I start, even though we have six-mile repeats programmed, I'll start start that first one at like a, a six or a seven. And, okay, how did that feel? Am I going to struggle today? Well, let's turn up the volume just a little bit more on that second one, on that second repeat. And then the third one, how am I feeling? And usually during the course of that third one, half the way through, and I'm I'm just tweaking that throttle up a little bit, pushing it towards a nine, pushing it towards a nine and a half, um, that either ignites a fire within that I already had, right, that I'm not talking myself out of, uh, or it lets me know you're just not feeling it today, man. And then... We either kill the workout, which usually doesn't happen, or I'll just turn it into a, a tempo run or something at that point. That's tough. What do you think about what do you think about that? Yeah. I think that's tough to hold yourself to. I think that a lot of people mm-hmm. would feel exposed coming home and writing that in their training log. A lot of people would feel not confident in what that's doing for them. And it's a leap of faith to be able to train like that. Or sometimes it takes a desperate time to be able to push you towards being able to train like that. But that that is not – it's not easy to accept less pain sometimes as someone who's training towards something. I think it's like people think, like, I'm going to show up and do the best I can that day. That's all good and fine, but that's still wrong. Doing the best you can that day still insinuates doing the best you can. What I think it becomes is doing the best I can today without setting myself back for tomorrow. You need to add that second sentence in there. Because if you go and do the best you can today, well, then you're still just going to dig that hole and 
be set, you keep moving backwards because you're never gonna you're never gonna allow yourself to progress, right? It's more like I'm going to do the best I can today, knowing that my effort isn't going to ruin me moving forward. There's a difference. Do you understand what I'm saying? The best you can do that day, do it on race day, of course. Go out and lay it out, and if it's a bad day, well, too bad, it's race day. But in workouts, it's more like that second sentence is important. You guys following me there? Mm -hmm. There's this this sentiment that comes up. Uh, Ryan Atkins talked about it. John Alvin talked about it. We had, uh, I believe, Tyler talked about it a little a few weeks ago. But you can only go so deep into the cave so many times before you need a break. So you can just kind of refill before you can do it again. And they're talking about races and occasionally overworking workouts. But a lot of high-level athletes go to decently dark places in some workouts and then they need some time before they can do it again. But their time is filled with naps or video games or resting or an easy workout later in the day and then a lighter one at night. When you have a life, a job that's demanding, a relationship, children if you have them, you don't get the chance to reload and refresh. And a lot of us use that time of working out to reload and refresh from life. But you can't recover both ends simultaneously. You can't recover from life while working really hard and then recover from working hard while doing life correctly. You can do it for a little bit, but eventually it's just you haven't you don't have that ability to refill that mentality of I can attack. I can attack because you can't. You can't attack all things at once. You can do it for a while, but eventually that piece that's missing from the people that don't work or have spouses to those that do is that you have to build in a regeneration time mentally. Bandwidth is too much otherwise. Couldn't have said it better myself. 100%. And it sounds like that's what you felt eventually was like, I'm just giving everything, but I'm not recovering from one. I'm borrowing from one to pay this one and borrowing from this to pay that. And yeah, something has to give. And obviously, husbandry can't give. Being, being a, a good parent can't give. Your business can't give. And so, yeah, I guess hitting an 80% workout is the easiest thing to give. Yeah, in that, I mean, you know, it's almost like uh, being able to t determine where your um, overflow line is mm -hmm. um, and, and keeping that training right on that line. Uh, I was talking about it with my wife the other day. It's just kind of like riding the edge. It, she said something about, well, you're you're really never recovered, are you? And I said, no, I'm recovered. It's just that I push the line to keep the recovery process consistent. I'm never in a huge deficit of recovery or an overage. I try and keep it somewhere in the middle to where I'm, I'm consistently repairing and recovering and then going back out and training to the ability, but not pushing it over the amount that my body can give physically or psychologically. Hmm in one given moment. And, and I don't think there's like a, a metric, uh, uh, that you can really gauge that off of. There's not a watch there's, uh, I don't know, maybe there is, but I can feel when I'm overwhelmed or overconsumed, And, and then when that goes into training, I'm able to, uh, pivot or kind of restructure the workout a little bit to be able to do that. But I tell you this, when I've got a week to where I'm just feeling, I'm feeling good 
and it's a Tuesday and I've got whatever on the board, um, high rocks workout or uh, a hard tempo run or whatever the case may be, um, I'll send it. But it's not all the time. It's like every couple few weeks now there is a workout to where I push the envelope above, um, you know, that that point in which you would want to stop. Mm-hmm. So listen to that every few weeks. Some people think that has to happen every time they put their shoes on. You know, they think that's that's what everybody's doing. That's what the good guys are doing. They are inside out every Tuesday, every week or every Tuesday and Saturday. You just said once every few weeks. Remember when we preached about that bracket and the swing the hammer mm-hmm. hard? We're like once a month, once a like the point yeah. which is like DNA changing workout, like the ones that you look back and remember five years from now. Once a month, maybe. Just good to hear. I was going to ask, following up, Bracken, you made a great point. That was a great way you laid that out about giving from taking from one to give to the other and all that. And then Chad, you just started on that train of thought about like I want to know like how do you know are there cues? Because you've been so good. Like, I know working with you these last six months in particular, like, hey, Kirk, I'm burnt from something. Sometimes I don't even know what. I am going to take a deload week. Or, hey, you took what? How long did you take after uh, the last big race? Like, three, four weeks? You just kind of like, you know, I'm going off script a little two bit. Two weeks. Because that's what I know. Two weeks. Because that's what I know I need right now. Like, how do you know? Is can you Can you put that into words? Like, you know what? Now's the time to push. And now's the time not to. Uh, or how do you how do you know? It's very tough to answer, so it's not really a fair question. But why don't you try? For me, it's like you just feel burnt out, and burnt out to me is you have these physiological, <clears throat> um, you know, things that happen. You're overly tired. Um, you're, you know, just bad attitude. Um, you feel your body feels heavy. You don't get adequate sleep. Um, you're unable to process and make decisions quicker. Uh, just, you know, all of these happening, and I've, I've seen trends in the past, and I've made note of it to where it's like, okay, I'm feeling like this again. So the start of feeling like that, and it's usually at the end of some crazy training block, and we just did, you know, maybe a back-to-back race or something like that, and we did a, a three-day race weekend, and, you know, I'm 42, so I, I don't recover like a 30-year-old would recover, a 20-year-old would recover. So there's a little bit extra recovery that you need in there. And when I sense that these things are happening, I just back off the throttle a little bit. It doesn't mean that I just take two weeks off. Um, it might mean one week off for sure. Um, you know, I'll get on the Echo bike for two days and at – 118 BPM uh, for 45 minutes just to get the legs turning over. But other than that, I'm just working, walking around and doing normal life for a week. And then that second week, uh, like the one we were just talking about it, I came back to it light. You know, I was doing 50, 60% of the weight that I normally push up. Uh, the, the runs were nice and relaxed and, you know, nothing super flashy on then that third week kind of like okay i'm back into it again so it it tends to work for me and i don't know again if that's an an age thing or my specific body but i've learned to listen to it and that 
um, has been, you know, one of the biggest things in, in my success with that. What has this concept of kind of living to fight another day, what has that done to your in-between workouts? Say you have Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. I don't know if that's what it is, but say those are your two, two and a half quality days. How has that affected your other workouts, if it has? Um, yeah, no, it really hasn't. Um, I think that as long as you're doing the in-between days properly and not overextending yourself, then the quality days uh, you can pop. What about the days you don't pop? You decide to back off a bit. What do you do the next day then or next two days when you theoretically have more energy? Do you just use it to get ahead on a recovery or do you then balance the equation on those days? Uh, I'll usually sense that something's going on and, and it's a matter of just kind of like riding that feel out even more. So just to back up, all of my weeks are scripted. And 90% of the time I stick to the script, but there is, you know, that 10% where it's just like, I'm not feeling it this day. And for my, uh, I'll come back to your question in a second, but for my psychological aspect, um, you know, because we, we have that as well, like to where we, uh, we almost expect so much out of ourselves sometimes, right? Like I got to do this. I got to pick this person up. I got to work out. I got to get this workout in. I, I can't, you know, I can't miss that. And, and, oh, and then we got to go to the kids this and I can't miss that. And I've got three hours of paperwork at work. I, I got to do that. And then psychologically, you're just overwhelming yourself. And that, that'll give you, that'll blow you up. Um, so I tend to just call myself down and reevaluate and write it, ride it out. And when I'm feeling stronger uh, mentally and physically, then I just crank it back up again. So the next day, those in-between days will look probably easier. Okay. I'll still do them, but they're not as intense. Makes sense. All I know is on the days in which I really work hard, when I put my shoes on and I start running, I'm like, I want to work today. It comes naturally. It's not something that's really forced. People sometimes think it's like, I'm going to force this one down my throat. I am. Like, if you're in a good training pattern, you, and Bracken, I think you're kind of the same way. Like, you slip them on, you get into it, and you're like, I'm ready to work today. And that might happen one out of four workouts for real, like quality workouts. But, like, you know, right? And if it's not that day where you're like, I'm just ready, like my legs are busting out of my skin, and we don't get those days as often as we think, then it's then it's evaluating as as you go and like resetting expectations. I don't know. For me, I know when it's a day where I'm gonna drop it. Like I know I can, my body, my mind wants to do it. It needs to for some reason. Do you experience that bracken, or is it always a talking yourself into it? No, I look forward to. I mean, my my weeks yeah, exactly. revolve around those days. I look forward to it the night before. I get excited. I start warming up the next morning. Everything's different about that day, and I look forward to it. But I think the important part of what you talked about is that if you, uh, that theoretical workout that you don't do too often, six by mile, if it's not going well, you feel tempo instead. It's not walk it in, go home, and pout. It's, well, I didn't have it today. I don't work out. No, it's not it. It's, all right, I'll give something different that I can do today. I think that's the important takeaway. It's not that we just give in to weekdays because you still have to race on days you feel crappy. 
you know, that's, that's still going to have to, you still have to be able to work. It's just, what am I going to get the most out of today? And I think that's the important pivot. You, you don't give up, you pivot. Absolutely. Yeah. That was something I struggled with, Kirk. And I think we've talked about it on here was once the injury string got really long, I lost that bit of an edge. And then I lost that rationality during workouts where if I was just feeling crappy, like whatever, six reps is fine or four reps is fine. And the first sign of coming out the other side of it was when I'd take two or three extra minutes rest and then finish a workout in a different way. Whether it's, all right, I'm just going to get a thousand feet of vert for time, or I'm going to hop on the fan bike and finish off the intervals there, or I'm going to tempo or whatever it is. But the difference between stopping the workout and finishing it differently makes a big difference in your fitness. Because I think we would all agree that if you were doing, let's say, that theoretical six-by-mile workout, 80 or 90% of the benefit of the workout happens in the last 50% of the workout. And maybe 50% of the benefit of the workout happens in the last 20% of the workout. That the more you get into the fatigued zone, those reps count more. And you're doing more systemic work there. And so stopping after four is not equivalent to pivoting after four. So for the people that are listening, I think that's a huge important takeaway from this talk so far. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm in. (laughs) We're all in. So... So, Kirk, um, you were talking about, um, you know, when you strap on your shoes, some days you just know, right? Uh, like it just you, you have there's there's a something special about putting the shoes on and feeling uh, you feel good. You feel like oh, I'm going to go out and do this run today. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And and those are the days I would say that. If you are feeling that like that and everything is, uh, you know, all the stars are aligning per se and you're feeling good and you got your favorite shoes on and it's sunny and you got something playing in the headphones and you're out there running and you just feel like you're popping. Those are the days. That's what I'm talking about. Like those are the days that I would send it. And if it's Mm -hmm. two weeks in a row, I'll probably send it two weeks in a row. But if it's, you know, the first of the month and, and the, the 26th of the month, then that month got two super, super powerful, you know, as, as I would say, 110% effort. You get when the getting's good, unless you have a race on the very close horizon. That's the only exception. Otherwise you get when it is good because the, it will swing the other way. And it's true. I, you hammered, I'm like, God, I've had two good weeks in a row. <laughs> what happens? Week three's a frickin' dunce. And week four sometimes isn't much better. And then you just understand the ebb and flow, and you learn to accept it and allow it and embrace it. And know it'll come back around. The pendulum always swings the other way, right? Whether it's for good or bad, it's just how it works. So it's true. But yeah, you got to strike, especially when you get a little older. When it's time, <laughs> you go with it for sure. And when it's not, you don't fight it. That's really the big key when it's not just let it not um i want to direct this conversation to something um you'd mentioned i don't know this about you and i don't know you're coming to sport because you said you had found racing again in 2018 is that right chad right 2018 um let's talk about 2010 chad and let's talk about between then and when you re-found sport 
you had mentioned that you'd went, you went through something. I believe you alluded to this before we hopped on when you and I were setting this up that you kind of gone through some stuff. Um, sounds like it maybe set the stage for later in life potentially. What is that you were all you were talking about? What was going on then? And then how you like bridge the gap to finding this? And then I want to dive into some age group specifics, like about the community and things like that. But why don't you talk us through what um, what that like uh, what eight year period? What happened? What went on? How the transformation right. went to you know who you are who you who you are presented as today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can hear me okay though, correct? Because I can't see the video. Yeah, you're good. Mm-hmm. So right. Oh, you can't see the video. That makes sense why you're only half in our frame. <laughs> if you move stage yeah, right mean, for yourself, it's... you would be more centered. We see like half your face. There you go. Didn't you wonder about that, Bracken? I was like, why is he like kind of on camera, kind of not? No, but on my screen, it's not It's not updating. Like it, it shows really? me in the same face I made 10 minutes ago. Yeah, maybe a refresh or something. They're coming through clear. Uh, you guys are moving. Y'all are talking. Yeah, it's working great. I don't know. You look great, Maybe too. Maybe I You're clicked something. Clear. Yeah, we see you okay. moving. I'm, I'm, well, that's great. Okay, I see you guys. We're all good. Um, yeah, 10 years ago. Uh, so I was working at a dealership. I was in uh, fitness just working out at the gym. No running. I haven't run uh, since high school. I was in track. And... Uh, through that period of time, through high school, through about 30 years old, so that was uh, 28, 30 years old, that was about 10, 12 years ago, um, just a, a very uh, difficult time in my life that changed the like trajectory of the rest of my life till now, and um, was going through a lot of hardship financially, um, 2008, the economy just tanked. So our pay at work was cut. I was working at a dealership back then. Our pay was cut virtually in half. Um, I was working out at a local gym. I was leading a team there at the shop. So I had a lot of responsibility. Um, I was married, had two kids at the time, Rachel and I, my wife, Rachel, We've known each other since senior year of high school. We didn't go to the same school, but we met a long time ago back in 98. Um, so we were, we're married. We're, we're together. Uh, you know, living perfect family, but it wasn't so perfect at that time. And, um, uh, work everything, uh, trying to work hard, trying to work more hours. I was going six o'clock in the morning to seven, eight, nine o'clock at night just trying to keep the house and pay the bills, you know, um, what you got to do when you're 28 year old dad, you know, with two kids. And, um, it just got stressful to the point where, you know, my, my wife and I were having, uh, you know, issue after issue and, and arguing. And, um, I was, uh, starting to talk to this gal at work and it just very innocently just crept up on me to the point where I was unfaithful to my wife. And, uh, that was, that took place over the course of a couple of months. And, um, it happens very, very, um, 
like quickly but innocently to where you can't even see it coming and and now this serves a purpose so for for your listeners just hear me out on this um because when i get to this point and whenever any man says i was unfaithful you, it's pretty much i just want to hang up on you but there is a very bright light at the end of the tunnel um to this and um we talked about it i told her about the situation um moved out, continued the relationship with this person. My wife, now we are faith-driven people. I was not, um, you know, very much a man of God back in those days at all. Um, in fact, I, I almost kind of repelled that. Uh, my wife was the exact opposite. She was very, very faithful, a woman of faith. And um, she stood strong, and she said, Chad, I know you're not in your right mind right now. And I'm going to be here for you. I mean, what wife would do that after hearing what I've been doing? Plus, I was on painkillers, Oxycontins. Uh, I was just in a, I was in a daze. I was trying to numb and hide myself from all the work and all the responsibility and everything hitting me all at one time. And um, so one morning, it was about you know, six, seven months after... I had left the house, um, you know, I was still coming back and, and seeing the kids and stuff like that. And my wife put verses, uh, from, from the Bible all over our house. Um, and I wasn't staying there, but it was, it gave her strength that wherever she was in our home, she would be able to read these verses and give her strength. And she had a vision that later in life, I know this sounds weird, but stay with me. She had a vision that later in life, her and I would be this force, that a force for good, that we would be able to help people, that we would be able to um, come beside people that were having these same issues and struggling in their marriages and with their families, and that we would be of help to them. And, uh, she would tell me these things and I'm like, you're crazy. I don't, whatever you want to do, right? I was still on drugs. I was still, uh, you know, living my life as a fool. And one day I woke up and it was almost like I got slapped across the face. And it was just like this voice within me that said, Chad, what are you doing? The grass isn't greener on the other side. You don't have a better lady. This is your, this is your girl. This is her. This is your family. This is what you committed to. I mean, it was all that in my face. I mean, it was very, very, I mean, it, it was a lot of weight, but it was a lot of weight taken off my shoulders. And for the very first time I had clarity. And again, here's my wife waiting six, seven months. And in her mind, she knew that this day would come. But I didn't think this day would come. And uh, since then, uh, we got back together. I moved in the house. She forgave me. It took five years of, um, you know, showing her that I wasn't that person anymore and my commitment to her. Um, our third son, Nate, um, would not have been born if we had not gotten back together. 
and now we have um, uh, three ministries to where we uh, counsel and help and uh, lead um, struggling marriages and or families, training up your kids. Um, and it's just been a blessing. It's been, it's been hard and there's been some hard times, you know, through that. But I mean, the, her vision was correct. It was right. Um, I didn't think that I would be ever where I'm at right now. In fact, if I were to have kept going down that road, um, and I've probably been dead by now. So where does the fitness all come into this? I'm a person of habit. Um, I have a highly addictive personality, which is a good thing, um, but it's also a bad thing. So what I needed to do is, uh, is turn those bad habits into good habits. And I think that a lot of people in our sport fall into that category of um, being able to kind of like transfer habits and um, get involved into something. Uh, you know, we're, we're all running towards something, right? But you might as well run towards something that is going to be beneficial in your life. So um, that's what I focused on um, and, and ran with it uh, quite literally. Started running. That was my outlet uh, to give myself time to uh, just think and uh, like grow as a human being all happened on runs. And that progressed into uh, kind of where we're at today, 2018 being my first uh, Spartan race. Wow. From that day that you were slapped awake, how long did it take to kick the painkillers? Wow. Um, I'd say it was probably about nine months. And uh, the the quick story to that was I would quit and then start back up because I'd find more. You couldn't just go to the store and buy more. You had to have a you know supplier. But I would say, okay, I'm done. And then I'd get more and then done. And then I'd get more. Um, but there was this week, week and a half that my parents were going to be gone out of the country or out of town somewhere far, far away. And their house was open, nobody in it. And they asked if I would come, you know, house it while they were gone. So that was my opportunity. So for nine days, I went through withdrawals, um, but basically like laying on the floor, like feeling like you're getting electrocuted because the nerve endings in your body were just misfiring. That's how bad it was. Uh, it was horrible. I, I don't, I, I would hope that nobody nobody has to go through something like that because it's horrific. It's absolutely horrific. Um, then past like the, the seventh day, it got better. Six, seven, eight, nine. My wife still, uh, you know, calling me on the phone. How you doing today, honey? You know, maybe a bath would feel better. You know, you put yourself in the bathtub. I'm like, I can't even get into the bathtub. And she's like, just try. You know, so I did. And that actually made me feel better. And um, and I never touched it again. It was just uh, I you know, decided to change and make that commitment to change. 
and you do it now when you know that commitment and that changes is right almost like a snap of the fingers you're doing it like commit do it was it the space away from your connections or was it just that this week matters we're doing it no matter what like how close did you get during those nine days to just like all right forget it i'm gonna go find something yeah, I don't think I ever thought to myself, I'm going to, I, I need a, a fix. It was just, you I was done. That was you it. Admit. Wow. And what happened to yeah, your, you didn't... go ahead. No, keep, keep rolling. Well, what happened to the fitness along with that? Not that that's the important part of it, but throughout this time with painkillers and then starting that week after, was there a noticeable change Did that helps jumpstart the positive habit stage? Or were they able to grow concurrently throughout that time before you quit? Um, no, I think all the stress caught up to me. Um, so what had happened after that is I went into, um, I was starting to have uh, anxiety attacks to where it would like paralyze me. And the anxiety attacks ended up paralyzing me from going out and doing anything. Hmm. So I literally... Uh, Daily? I was working... Daily for six months. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, so, so then my wife had to go through all that with me as well. Um, you know, again, the strength, uh, the strength from the Lord, but, uh, you should see my wife too. She's, she's 4'11. She's this tiny little thing, right? I mean, you would think that she would be like some strong, like, get yourself together, boy. Come on. Uh, but she's not. She's like this little girl. And it's like, oh, it's okay, honey. Everything's fine, you know. Um, but no, I just, I sat on the couch downstairs uh, watching the same show every single day uh, in my basement. And any thought of activity would make me, of course, I was, um, because I think it was a chain reaction because when I got off the medication, that obviously did something to me psychologically and it spurred uh, like different things where I was panicking that uh, like parts of my body were like my heart would just race. I thought that there was something wrong with my heart and then, and then it was skipping beats and then I had like numbness in my arm and I thought I was having a heart attack and um, I had Bell's palsy. So the whole right side of my face fatigued and, uh, I had to live with that for a while. So there was a series of a year and a half where it was just, just horrible, horrible life. Um, but then, uh, what pulled me out of that depression, uh, 10 years ago, now we're talking like 2009, 2010 to give you perspective, like right within that, that range, right. When I started my business, <laughs> um, and I remember just getting up one day. There, there's always something in my life where it's like one day I woke up and then got slapped upside the head. Uh, I woke up one day and I'm like, you know what? I can either do something about this or I can just keep letting it happen. So Before you get into that, what was that... keeping you guys afloat? Not relationship-wise, because that seems apparent it was her and it was higher power but <laughs> in terms of you said you were a part of what got you into this in the first place was trying to make ends meet now if you've gone yeah. 18 months like this how are you guys like financially physically making it 
Yeah, we had negative uh, $34 in the bank. We decided to, um, because of all the things going on, I got let go from uh, my previous job. Mm-hmm. And that was just very, you know, um, as, as, as a man trying to provide for their family, it just, you know, made even more wounds than scar. Um, but yeah, no, we were financially in, in really rough shape and, um, they were, I remember they were turning off our gas and they were turning off our electric and it was like November, December, they were turning our gas off. So I went to the store and I bought a master lock, like a big, thick master lock, and I locked the gas valve so the gas company couldn't lock it when they came out, right? I'm like, I got to do something. So I put the lock on it, and it was like two days later because they sent us the notice that it was going to happen. It was inevitable. And then my wife comes up, and she was like, hey, we have, like, the stove isn't working. And I'm like, oh, no, I'll take a look at it. And no gas. I go outside. Of course, they had cut my lock off and then put their lock on. So it was hard financially as well. You know, uh, three kids at that time. Um, I just felt I felt like a loser. Um, but, uh, you know, life is like that. Sometimes we have highs and sometimes we have lows. And what I've learned through the lows is that, I mean, at least for me, I, I pray about it. I, um, you know, think about it. Uh, I receive information, uh, just by thinking about things and praying about it. And when, um, I know what to do, even though it's hard, um, I just make that decision to, to do it. And that's hard because a lot of times you don't want to. I mean, there's to change something. There's pain in changing something. There's, you know, unknowns. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if the situation is going to get any better. Um, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And if you keep remaining to keep doing what is right, um, you'll come out of it. And, and that's what happened. And I started running. And that that started the whole running process for me. Curious about your business now. So you went from negative thirty four dollars. You lost your master lock, which you were heavily invested in. So like that's sunk cost now. How did you start a your own auto business off of this? I said, "Honey, you want to start our own business?" She goes, "Sure." I'm like, "All right. Well, I know about cars, so maybe I can work out of some uh, out of the house on some cars." So I had customers, um, I had uh, developed a pretty high clientele when I was at the dealership. I was working on, you know, higher line cars, BMWs, Mercedes, Audis, Volkswagen, stuff like that, mainly BMW. And I just called up some of my clientele, you know, cold calling them like, hey, I'm out of my garage. I visited some of uh, uh, the auto parts stores in the area, gave them, I had some cheap cards made up. It was like $9.99 online or something like that. Put it on the credit card. Um you know, give me some cards. And, and I'm like, Hey, if you wouldn't mind handing my cards out, I can help people out, get their cars fixed for cheap and I'll use your parts type of thing. Um, and even though I really wouldn't use their parts because they're cheap and you should use original equipment parts, not cheap parts because your car will just break again. But in any case, I got the clientele and it 
went from 30 clients to um, around 300 clients in three years working on my garage. And then in 2013, we bought our first building uh, here, which was way, way too big for anything that I needed. And it was another God thing. Um, You know, it, it just worked. And now we're at like, I don't know, somewhere around five to 6,000 people that we, uh, that we service. So, uh, you know, it's turned around and and it was just by, you know, steadily doing the right thing, knowing what you have to do, putting one foot in front of the other and and keep going. But it was hard. It it was, it was a hard process, but worth it. You know, you, you alluded to just keep doing the right thing, but for a period of time, you were doing the opposite of that. Yeah. And you don't always know what the right thing is until you've done the wrong thing a few times. Yep. I could I can stand in those shoes. You also know you're with a good person for you and you're like this human is objectively a better human than I am. And you hope that they feel the same way about you, but when you have that thought cross and that crosses my mind with Jess, whom I'm currently with, I'm like she's just like a better person than I am, like fundamentally. But you know you you come to your senses. It sounds like you came to your senses. I also want to speak to uh, your anxiety, the withdrawal from pain meds, speaking just to relate to you as like a human. When you're on drugs or alcohol or anything that basically changes what your nervous system does, suppresses it, and you come off of it. I mean, I, mine lasted seven to nine days when I had to go through detox from alcohol. Um I can attest to you that, like, I'm my, my faith is not nearly as strong as yours. It's still cloudy. But you want to talk about having coming to Jesus moments almost in a flow state. Talk about it then. You are not even present in your own body. It is like one of the most cleansing in the worst way experiences. And then eventually in the best. But it takes, man, I feel like now... I'm over a year removed from that detox experience, and my body's starting to re-find equilibrium. Like, my nervous system's finally starting to recover. It doesn't happen. Like, I really think whatever you were going through was, like, it's physiologic, like, physiologically, like, anxiety is a nerve, it's a nerve, pro- like, yeah. those things are very real. It's a, man, I just, I know what it's like, and it's like, you aren't even yourself, and you can't control it, and it makes no sense, and it's, Coming out the other side of it isn't like a snap of a fingers either. It's a very slow, slow, slow progression out until one day you realize you can go to that dinner party with your friends and you're not dreading it anymore for some reason. Somehow you're like, it's not a thing. All of a sudden you're like, hey, I'm almost looking forward to this for the first time in two years. That sort of thing. But I've experienced that is what I'm saying. Still am a little bit. but um, Didn't know that about you, Chad. We had a... um, we had a couple come and speak at this church event once, and they stood up there in front of the church. It was a, it was an event I was dragged to because uh, I don't typically walk through those doors uh, unless, you know, there's I am asked, we'll call it. And a couple went up there, and it was uh, a, a very well put together, at least from afar, beautiful woman, attractive man. And they sat up there, and they told their story of infidelity. And it was her that had cheated, not him. Um, and they walk themselves through it. And nobody's stories are similar, but almost the respect I had, even for the the in the 
the cheating party after like, like our imperfections come out in different ways, man. Right. But the important part is one, you got hell of lucky that you landed on Rachel. And two, as long as you can take it and, and I've had a chance to chat with your wife recently. She's very pleasant, by the way. Um, as long as you can take it and pivot and stop making the wrong decisions and start making the right decisions. I don't know why I'm getting into this right now, but point being is, yes, I think periods of time like that open doors, but it's, uh, you know, the valleys are low, but on the other side's usually, you know, a little bit better, right? It's a lot better. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was, there was a lot to learn from that uh, event in life and, uh, made me realize, um, just the special, uh, person that I did have that I was losing. And I think that there's a, it, let me say this, um, th- th- because this is important. The reason why, um, I, this isn't easy for me to talk about. Um, it, uh, uh, but the reason why I talk about it is because there are, it, uh, many people out there that are right now doing this. And, um, I've kind of made it my mission to, to explain my story. And, uh, hopefully if there's, if there's a hundred people, uh, that listen to this podcast that hate me because of this, or, you know, want to judge me that I'm, I'm that person or whatever the case may be, maybe that's, that's fine. But if there is one person that will change or create a change or reach out for help because of this, uh, it's all worth it. It's all worth it because I've seen, um, I've seen so many, I've seen hundreds of marriages within the past decade, uh, come out of the depths of doom because, um, they decided to make a choice to change. I mean, you loved each other before you could do it again. And I know a lot of people say, no, not my spouse. I think you can. Um, but it, it, it's hard. It's, it's good stuff. So, yeah. I mean, getting personal here. It sounds like your wife took you back in immediately. Like she was ready. She had made the decision decision even before you had, like, this is going to wind up back in this home and we are okay with that. And I'm assuming it took you longer to get comfortable back in the marriage than it took her. Is that accurate? Oh yeah, very accurate. And she she didn't tell me like you're coming back to the house and we're going to be fine. She didn't say that. She would just say, "I'm not asking for a divorce right now. Um, I'm here if you need me." Hmm. And she would almost repeat that. And it, and it she wouldn't bother me about it too. It's not like she was blowing me up, texting me, calling me like I'm here. Do you need anything? No, it was just like she gave me space. She gave me time. She was strong. She was a very, very strong individual. Um, and just kind of with open arms was like, I'm, I'm here for you. However long that takes, I'm here. Would there be anything else that'd make you feel even worse about what you're doing? Somebody responding right. in that way. Oh, get mad at me. The knife is like I stabbed myself with the knife and now. I'm going to twist it too. Like that's how that just, that had to feel just dirty, huh? Wow. 
How many, yeah, how many times she did she have to say that until until it sunk in? Well, like I said, I mean, it was six, seven months. Six, seven months of that. And uh, and it was a slap on the face. But I think that there there was a some space and time there because that time created, you know, reflect, reflection to learn. And... Um, and things need time. They need time to kind of settle in. They need time to see what you're doing wrong, uh, to see that you, that the grass is not greener on the other side and, and, uh, that you have this family. So, I mean, I'm an, I'm an advocate for family and especially through that and what I've seen grow out of that and, um, just the family that we've been able to create and, and the business and, um, uh, just the support and, and community, another community, you know, out of this, um, is really, really cool. How did her yeah. family handle this as graciously as she did? Um, no, no, they, uh, a lot of her family were, you know, kind of coming against her and saying, what are you doing? You're, you're a fool. You're ridiculous. He's, he's the, he's, he's just going to do it again. Um, and I had gotten many, many letters, uh, from people, uh, like hate mail, uh, people still like, you know, sent mail back in 2009. Uh, so my mailbox was full of, I hate you letters. Uh, most of them I didn't even read. I, I just threw them away because I knew that it wouldn't be anything good and I wasn't on this planet anyway, but, um, yeah, it was, um, it, uh, there, there was just a time I can't explain why, but there was a time period there and, and a wake up. So out of all of this, it's, if you can have the patience and show strength, right? Um, your, your person will come around, your spouse will come back around. And there was a lot of prayer in there. There was a lot of God in there, um, for whatever that's worth. It's real to me. Um, and, uh, uh, changed our lives. So there's no way to soft pivot from here, Chad. You know that you really, you really cornered me here. Let's, let's hard pivot. <laughs> but. No, but we're gonna we're gonna soft pivot. I think I can do it. Um, more in the sense. Um, so, well, thank you for sharing all that. Actually, that was I was kind of hanging by every word there for quite a while, Chad. Mm -hmm. So that did not. Um, that was that was well received by me. So thank you. Um, can we tie a bow on what the heck happened to you after? Like, like if you had to give me the because then I want to dive into some age group stuff with you, but. Um, so transforming out of this, you turned one unhealthy addiction, let's call it, and we all have it into a somewhat or more healthy pseudo addiction, which is training, which if you tell me you're, it's not an addiction, you are so far off base with yourself. I feel like, like it is part of what we need now to feel whole. And that would could be considered maybe an addiction or a strong habit. Right. And so you were able to do yeah. that. I'm sure it wasn't easy. Um, and so you didn't start competing in anything until 2018. So from for 20 years, you didn't compete 
athletically in anything. Started training as more of an outlet and running as more of an outlet and recentering and another way to fix yourself, we'll call it. And then it transitioned mm -hmm. into competing. Is that how I'm understanding it? Yep. Right on. Okay. And since 2018, what is that? Like, what has your journey been? Like, just walk us through like a few highlights of 2018, 19, 20 through today. Like what, what were some of your highs and lows, proudest moments? Like what, what so far have you been able to do? Like, let's talk about that as sort of its own thing before we go into like theory and age group. Okay. Talk us through it. That yeah. Um, yeah. Like how, how'd yeah. you find it? You stepped yeah, for, into it. What happened? Yeah. I mean, just like a lot of people's stories, right? So here I'm working out in the gym, you know, doing my thing, like maybe running on the treadmill here and there for, for some extra cardio, but mainly it was just weight training, you know, kind of bro gym in it going in and slamming some weights and, and working out. Nothing but 2018, uh, it was actually 2017, ran into a 60 year oh. Spartan race. And I said, uh, no, what's Spartan race? So he told me about it and he's like, ah, you know, you run through the mud and you do some obstacles. And he's like, I do it. You know, you want to do it with me? I said, sure. So he's like, well, the next one is in Chicago, 2018. Um, I'll call you about two months before we'll sign up and we'll do it. And I'm like, oh, I'm thinking to myself, this guy's 60s running this little fun race. I'll do it with him, whatever. He was in shape. He's he's a runner. So mm -hmm. there I am in bed at 930 at night and the phone rings. Hey, Randy, what's up? He's like, oh, hey, we got to sign up for that race. This is like seven months later, eight months later. So we do the race, and we get done with this thing. And I'm it, it's 2018 was a, a, a ton of mud, you know. Oh, that oh, I year. love that race. Oh, is that the one you came out ahead? Uh, both you were there, weren't you? I was fifth there in the national series race. I was as close to a podium. I failed the tire along with a few others, but I was. Uh, I did not I race there. Okay. Not a good race for me. Yeah, um, day two, though. Yeah, that tire was hmm. right, right. And I, that's where I saw you. Right. So we come out of this, you know, mud pit of, of Chicago back there, and um, it was just, like, exhilarating. We were tired, but you feel like it, it gave you, like, a sense of accomplishment. Like, there was this new light outside of everything that you've known so far, and... It's this crazy, weird run through mud and traverse against obstacles and jump off of stuff and into stuff. And I mean, it was just like my family was there um, just celebrating at the finish line. I think I was like 56th place or something like that. Um, we did age group. I go, hey, what do I sign up for? They've got elite age group and pro or something like that. And he goes, now nah, we're doing age group. So, so go there. We'll get in the morning and, and do it. So, uh, that was, that was the first, uh, race. And I didn't race again until, uh, 2019. So, um, June 2018, first race, June 2019, second race. There is nothing in between. But, uh, what I did, uh, figure out between the two is I have to train. I have, I can't go into it with essentially one month of training, uh, which I tried to just kind of like strum together by myself with, 
no knowledge whatsoever of how to even train for a race like this, but it was just running. Somebody said, just run. So that's what I did. Uh, but the second race, um, I actually ran and trained for three months prior to that. And I did pretty good. I don't know. Maybe it was like 20 or 22nd place, 30th uh, in the age group range. And then right there, 2019, uh, it just accelerated the rest of uh, my career in in racing. So I did a couple of races. I went to the, uh, what was it back in? It was the North Carolina race that they had. There was some elevation to it. That was in like August, maybe of 2019 Asheville and that Asheville. Yeah. Mm. And that's where I saw, um, I'm like, okay, I've done, you know, three, four of these races now. And I saw this, uh, uh, this, this guy in my age group and I'm like, okay, who's the fastest guy in my age group? And there's this bald guy running in first place and just takes off. And he and he finished first, and he was ahead of everyone else. And I'm going, I got to find out who this guy is. So race ends. I went over to him. Hey, nice job. Congratulations. You're super fast. Like, how long have you been doing this? X, Y, Z. Uh, turns out it was uh, Bruce Jackson. And um, I just said, hey, um, you know, you mind if I send you a message or something like that? I want to talk to you about something. Yeah, sure. No problem. Community was super nice, you know, um, even though I wasn't even, I think I placed 11th uh, that day. And I called Bruce and he's like, what's up, man? And I said, hey, it was just, um, you know, uh, saw that you're you're super fast. Would you mind coaching me? And, you know, he, he kind of got a little bit of questions and we had a couple conversations, you know, he's feeling me out. I'm feeling him out and type of thing. And he's like, yeah, I'll coach you. So he's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, well, I just want to be like, I want to get into the top 10. And he's like, top 10. He's like, I'll have you in first, second or third. After our conversations, he's like, if, if you do, if you do X, Y, Z, you'll be podium podiuming and i'm like you are a liar there's no way these guys are super fast um but that was it man that accelerated me into the next year i had uh, worked with bruce for i don't know probably close to a year um and a lot of it was running and it was you know 80 20 principle was running slow it was running uh, fast and hard and, uh, letting the body recover, obviously weight training and things of that nature. But, uh, that got me into podium contention. Um, and my first beast was 2019, November, July, September. Was it September 2019? Anyway, that was the, uh, Spartan national championships. And that was my first beast. I ran open. Virginia, West and I don't Virginia? know what I got. I did West Coast. Yeah. Isn't that Tahoe that year? I did. Uh, it was Tahoe. Yeah, oh, Lake Tahoe. Yeah. 2019. That was mm-hmm. the cold year. Yeah. How did that go? 
I ran open and, uh, it was super cold, but it was, it wasn't as bad as your Sunday race, but I still did the swim and got through it. Um, ran three hours and something. Um, and then, so, I mean, for my first beast, I, you know, I didn't know how I, how I would get through it, but I did. And it went pretty darn good. Um, Bruce was there. He was, uh, by the tire at the end. Um, when I came up and transitioning and just being super supportive and you got this man, like, come on, let's go. You got it. Flip it. Okay. Flip the other side. Let's go. And just like ran me into the end and my wife was there and it was just like a real awesome, you know, sentimental moment. Um, so, you know, things went on and I found Kirk and, you know, we took it to the next level, got serious, got more serious and started, uh, winning more and more races, you know, back to back races and, uh, you know, chasing different races. Um, a lot of local stuff that you guys are familiar with, you know, around here, like frontline and abominable Mm -hmm. and uh, done a lot of those races too. And bring them up to speed. So this year, and not like we are only our accomplishments, because we are obviously layered humans. That mean much more than that. But uh, this last year, where did you end up in the the age group national series? Uh, national series was second place, um, forty to forty four. Um, missed first by I don't know sixteen seconds, yeah, something tight. like that. But it was mm-hmm. close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that age group is tough. Uh, many, many contenders, uh, in that age group for sure. So it was pretty special mm-hmm. to be able to do that. Um, what else? Uh, I did the, um, frontline race, the special forces where you got to wear the, the 20 pound, 20 pound pack. Um, and it's like six and a half miles. You have, right? Yeah. And you won it. I think so. It was a while back. Who else won it? Who else won it, Chad? I won that race in twenty. Oh, you won uh, that race. Twenty twenty. Huh. There's only one person uh, in this room who's not won that race. <laughs> Let's change that. Whatever. I'm showing up at Abominable, and you both can suck it. You don't want it. <laughs> <laughs> Abominable's fun as well. Um, I ended up taking that one as well. That was super cool. Um, super fun races that, uh, um, race ready obstacles. They're, uh, Aaron and Dana, they're, they're throwing these races and doing a lot of the, uh, obstacle building for these races. And they're super awesome human beings as well. Um, so give them a lot of credit. Yeah. I'm gonna, um, I'm glad that was a good summary of kind of your progression and, and, you know, we we stayed consistent. You've become more intuitive as an athlete, uh, and you've been on it. And that's the reason. I mean, we can split hairs here, but the reason is consistency and listening right. and adapting as we go. But the key is consistency. Um, from that, what I want to ask you is why – okay, sometimes people look at age group and think, well, they're an age group because they aren't good enough to be an elite, so they are – their default is they they have to be an age group, which is a shitty thing. That's not the truth. You could be running elite 
Why don't you talk mm-hmm. to me about the front end of age group? Why, why people, why you choose to stay in the age group scene? What, how, how that decision is made? Because you, you hear people like, oh my God, if I was second in that, I'd be making the jump to elite. And you've qualified ten different ways. What's it like being in that arena in the age group scene, and why stay? Mm. Yeah, great question. Uh, there's a lot of reasons. Um, I'm in age group because I feel that's where my spot is. Um, I don't think that if I were to move up, my ability level, my um, my placement is not going to be challenging enough to anybody else in the half of elite. Now, if it's at a smaller race, um, I might jump into an elite um, just to challenge myself, right? Um, but again, my com- my community, the the people that I am used to racing in age group um, are there, and they're all competing. And I think that there's something about that, like um, that battle, whether you're first, second, or third, or whether you're you know fifth through ten or tenth through twentieth. When you're in age group, your your fifteenth place. And, and that's what you've worked yourself up to. So, so remember, I worked up from 54th place, my first one, and I thought I was in pretty darn good shape. Um, but everybody has a race within that. And I think when you jump up to elite, there's a certain, uh, type of prestige. You're, I don't know what the proper word is, but, um, you better be able to, uh, to hang. And I'm not to that level and, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. Um, if I, do I think I could be at that level at my age? I mean, probably not. Um, but if I wanted to contend to win and for me, when I go out to race, I go out there to contend to win. Um, and there's, there's a thrill, there's like this, um, like I really don't, at the end of the day, I want first, but what I really want is I want to, I want to end that race feeling like I gave it everything that I had, that I was able to access my fitness on that day and challenge myself and have my brothers and sisters, you know, next to me. Uh, doing the same thing and get to the end and feel, you know, feel meaning to it. Um, and if, if folks are running, you know, say a, a super in elite in, you know, whatever, 50 minutes and, you know, I cross the line at, at, you know, an hour five, I'm not really competing. So I would rather compete with more of a, a group that, uh, you know, that I can hang with and, and battle with. I think the battle part is, is key. That makes sense to me. I think people always scratch their head and wonder when they see successful age group athletes. But if you feel like you're not fighting for anything, if you change, so let's say jump over to elite, it loses its meaning. What's the difference between 23rd and 27th place? to somebody who's been chasing podiums the last few years. I can understand that. Um, follow-up question for you. 
is this. I feel like there's a way to do age group right and there's a way to do age group wrong. And as we said in the very beginning of this podcast, the best part about age group is the community. And I argue the best part about any of these endurance sports, including elite, is the community. Bracken probably agrees. Like, there's some different angles maybe at the front end of the pro field, but we're all hanging out having beers and bullshit and just like you guys are. A lot of them become best friends in training camps and all of that. So there's a lot of that at the elite level too. But what I'm getting at is this. You're an age grouper. Um, how do you get the most out of your age group experience and the community? There's a lot of age groupers here that are listening that are lone wolves. I coach a couple of them. There's age groupers mm -hmm. out there who just aren't plugging themselves into the community, um, which again is the best part of this. So what, how can you have the best age group experience? Like what would you suggest to our age group athletes um, listening? Well, you, you got to put in, you know, put in some to get in some, right? Uh, you put yourself out there, talk to athletes. I'm, I'm not the type of person that I'm like a social butterfly. I'm not the one that's out there just talking to every, everybody, believe it or not. Um, I would rather, you know, go in a corner and, and just think about the race or whatever and spend time with my family. But you got to put yourself out there, talk to people, ask them questions, you know, just, um, uh, you know, stick around after the race. A lot of, uh, guys and gals will finish the race and they'll stay within that finish line area where you get your medal and just kind of talk. And that's generally where a lot of the top age groupers stand for like 15 to 20 minutes after the race. They just hang out there. It's, it's cool. Um, and, uh, you just, just make some, uh, some connections and communication with that also on social media, right? So if you just, um, like ser search for Spartan or Spartan athlete or, you know, a specific race or, um, like I said, with Bruce Jackson, right? Like I found the fastest guy out there and I wanted to know what he was doing. Um, so I called him, I contacted, I went up to him and I'm like, Hey, that was, that was crazy fast. What are you doing? I'd like to know more type of thing. Um, uh, yeah, just, um, kind of put yourself out there. And if there's some guys local, you know, maybe ask to, uh, get on, uh, in a couple of their runs, um, or gals, you know, same thing. Uh, people put groups together. I prefer to run alone. I, that I just use that time kind of for myself, but other people like to run with people and they, they get a lot of benefit out of that. Um, and just stay connected. I mean, there's a lot of connections that have taken place for me, um, just over Instagram, uh, social media, Facebook, whatever the case may be. And, uh, really hosting those, those Sims back in or 2020. Showing up to them it, if you're not it, the host. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or showing up to them. Yeah. yeah. I, um, and then, I was, and then uh, that racer. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, um, well, let me talk about myself for a second and related to you. It was, you know, this to clarify what you're saying. So I was, I was in the woods this last weekend, this week, checked out in the woods, unplugged and twice during the week, 
I'm out in the woods with my camo on, hoofing my compound bow, and I run into another gentleman in the woods, another bearded guy, pretty much a cookie-cutter version of myself. First of all, he's not your competition, he's your friend. I said, hey, let's exchange numbers, man. We both love this. Let's Let's be friends here, right? It happened to me twice this last week. And know what? We love talking about bow hunting, and we love talking deer hunting, and we love people to bounce this idea. I made two friends in the middle of the woods in northern Wisconsin, the most unlikely place. And the same thing goes for Spartan athletes. We love talking about ourselves. We love talking about our race and the gear and the strategy. You say, I met two random guys in the woods. One was in the dark wearing a headlamp. That's a pretty unlikely circumstance to meet a new friend. And I was like, hey, let's exchange numbers. I've been bullshitting with these guys every day the last two weeks. It's the same exact thing at a race. Do it. Like, we're we're family here. Who cares if I'm going to try to slit your throat at the start line once the gun goes off? Outside of that, like, we like the same thing. We're friends already. You just ask, hey, let's talk. That's how it happens. The lone wolf thing is just not the way to get the most out of the experience. I'm just relating one thing to the other because it was – there's no shame mm-hmm. in doing that. That's where I, I, I'm, I'm hearing that basically is building the community is taking initiative or seeking it out. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, seek it out. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And if you're not that person, you want to do it behind, you know, more closed doors, then, you know, get on somebody's uh, Insta and send them a message. You know, easy enough. Or come up to us. You know me. I'll introduce. That's That's the other thing is, like, all you need to know is get to know one person. And then they'll introduce you into more um, like these. You you guys have heard of the MBAs, right? Mm-hmm. The masters ba- badasses or whatever they're called. Um, I guess it's like this group that, you know, you kind of want to be a part of. And, and it's like this inner circle of, you know, more masters, uh, you know, men that are after kind of the same mission that you're after in OCR. And, uh you know, after one race, um, I don't know if it was Cole DeRosa or somebody had come up to me and kind of said, like, welcome to the club, my brother. Welcome to the club. And um, it's just really cool, you know, how people kind of, like, take you under their wing and will – I don't even know Cole, and I – well, I, now I know him, but I didn't know him back in the day. And I just went up to him and be like, hey, man, like, what are some of the things that you're doing? Um how how did you get into the sport? And such a nice guy, like he'll sit there and talk to you for 10, 15 minutes and just be real with you, um, which gives you more information and you meet more people. So, yeah. Of curiosity, this question has come up a few times uh, in my inbox, and so I'm just going to ask you while you're here. When is it socially acceptable for someone to move from elite down to age group? Someone who's been successful elite, someone who still could run elite, but isn't really in the mix for top three to five anymore. And so they're thinking, well, I'm getting close to 40. Should I just jump into age group? What is that reception going to be like? Well, for me, um, I'd welcome it. You know, they're they're 42, 41 year old human being or whatever age group you're in, 30, whatever the case may be. They're your age. They're in it. We'll welcome it. And if they're receiving feedback from other people, like they don't feel that it's fair, you're you're this much faster than us, you're taking our podium spots away from us, or whatever the case may be, they're they're a human being just like you in the same age group. So they could do whatever they want. 
number one. I had a guy, um, Matt Quinlan, uh, Dirt Road Soldier. He is a fast 42-year-old dude. Um, insanely fast. He, he in fact, will be on Spartan's um, elite team next year. It's official. Um, but earlier in this year, he's like, yo, Chad, I'm going to go elite. I'm like, that's great, man. Like you, you should, um, he goes, what do you think about that? Do you think I'm making the right choice? And I said, yes. When you beat, uh, the next guy in a, in a Montana beast by 16 minutes between first and second, and you're cons- you're consecutively doing that every race. I'd say you're you're probably you should probably go elite, right? And he did, and then he changed his mind because um, and I might be getting some of this wrong, but you know when Spartan did the whole like oh we're going to do the elite series now and the national series and mm-hmm. it's going to separate the elites and the national. Um, he's kind of like. Well, that kind of sucks because now I won't even get to see my people or anything. It's some of these races are at the same event. Some are on different days. Some mm-hmm. are in different states and countries. So he ended coming back and doing a couple and beating everybody. That was right in the middle of a series. I told him right off the bat, I'm like, dude, I'm fine. The more the merrier. If you win, you're just you're you're the better athlete that day. But mm-hmm. if there is something within them that pushes them to to push themselves, I feel like if you're that much faster than your age group guys, then you belong in elite. I don't think there's any you know defined time. I think that you 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 know like can I give these elite guys a run for their money? At least top ten. Could you give these top ten a run for their money, even if you're ninth or tenth? If the answer is yes, I think you need to, you know, move up to elite for a little bit and see how it works. So Kirk shouldn't go Masters next year. <laughs> no. Mm-mm. You guys would be in the same age. <laughs> nope, we'll see each other for. We'll see oh, each other for about five seconds. You don't know that. I've seen some of your splits lately. Yeah, I don't know. My fast splits are <laughs> like what you run on your easy days. Stop it. What about um, it doesn't count. <laughs> oh, I'm not the only one. Um, what about uh, do you have a perspective on piggybacking Bracken's question, which is a really good question? Um, but open to age group, like when do you feel? Do you have an opinion on that when it's time to join the age group? Um, any thought there? Yeah, Does anybody do. belong? Does um, Chad Coleman in 2018 taking 52nd place? Did should he have been there? Um, yes, but, uh, I'll tell you this much. I, I did the, um, obstacle, um, uh, what do they call it? The, the obstacle proficiency, um, like six hour course mm-hmm. the day before that Spartan offers the SGX thing. And I learned how to like get, get in and out of the obstacles um, and navigate around the course before I went through it. Uh, so that gave me like huge insight. And I think that that definitely should happen if, if you're looking to pursue an age group, uh, race is 
um, you know, just be able to be somewhat proficient at obstacles and know how the race works. Absolutely. Come on in. Um, but I think for maybe the first time, uh, you go out there an open wave is great to kind of meet and greet the obstacles, what they're all about, how they work, uh, how the running is. Um, and then if it's something that kind of like, you know, fuels a fire within and you want to go to the next step, I think that competitively, that's what age group is there for. It's, it's too, it's to compete. It's not to, you know, uh, count the butterflies and, um, you know, stop in the middle of the course and retry obstacles and things like that. I believe that's what open is for just a fun run, get out there. You're doing hard things. Uh, it's still, it's awesome. But then when, once you want to compete, I think you're ready, uh, then to get into age group. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know if they're, is a time or whatever, but I think that there's no such thing as too slow as long as you're not getting in people's way. Like if you think I'm going to be the slowest person there and it may not be close, but I want to go out and compete. I don't want to be caught in the open waves. I think that's fine. You just start in the, the last row. I don't think that there is a, an issue with that. Same thing for pro or elite. Like if you qualify in, you belong there, but then just seed yourself accordingly. And if people start rolling up on you from behind, then, it's on you to stay out of the way. I think everyone's welcome as long as you just act the part. You don't have to perform the part. You just act the part. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Yeah, definitely. I I think as well in uh, some of these age group eats, maybe even more at uh, a bigger race, I would uh, I really have given a lot of thought to having a, a first wave okay. after the elites. Mm-hmm. To have to have the faster age groupers go out um, in their own separate wave that could be cast from many different ways, um, you know, top five from a previous race, I don't know, something of that nature, podium, however they work it. But I mean, I want to run against Cole. I want to run against you know, Sean White, or, I mean, I, he moved up to elite now, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to run against some of these guys, but not quite tap into all full out. I'm an elite. Yep. I agree with that. What, um, what else do we need? We're at two hours here. So, um, what else do we need to know about, about age group? Is there anything I haven't asked about it? We could spend more time on it, but I'm just looking at the clock now. So, Anything people should know about the, you know, the vibe, the tribe, the feel, the experience of age group that we haven't somehow covered? Anything you want to talk about with it comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, I I think as far as Spartan is concerned, I think that, uh, you know, age groupers, from what I've heard, is that we just want to be recognized a little bit more. We don't need money. We We don't need, you know, glitz and glamour or anything of that nature just to... I mean, we're going to these races, we're spending a ton of money, um, you know, just for ourselves. I mean, we're glad to give Spartan all of our money and travel to these races in uh, some beautiful parts of the country. But, um, you know, just a little bit of uh, them, you know, kind of listening, hearing us out, putting putting the age groupers in the spotlight a little bit more. I think that 
uh, some of these guys would really, you know, feel uh, glad to be appreciated a little bit more, you know. And what does that look like? I mean, several different ways, like an age group award ceremony, um, a, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more um, uh, time on, uh, you know, posts or, you know, spotlight, like racer spotlight, um, age grouper, this age grouper, um, you know. Uh, stuff like that, just just to kind of be like, hey, you're valued. We really appreciate you guys and your commitment to our sport and, you know, for doing such a great job, X, Y, Z. Recognition of your commitment to their sport and brand. That's really what it comes down to. We are, we are the gas going in Spartan's tank. Be nice to be yeah. acknowledged, right? Yeah. And I believe... I have a number of age group athletes who podiumed in the national series. You have not received any of your promised gifts or recognition yet. Have you? No, none of it. And that's the other thing. It's like, yeah. you know, get on it, get on it a little bit quicker. Yeah. That'll, yeah. you know, show us um, that a little bit more too. What do you got Bracken? Just gratitude. Thank you. This is a, another one of those interviews that we don't get all the time where someone really exposes some nerve endings and the rest of us are all lucky to have witnessed it and to be able to hear the story. And it could be everyone's running story is inspirational to some point, but unless they've made some big mistakes in their running, it doesn't keep us from making our own running mistakes, you know, but the life stories, the life mistakes, those are our guardrails. Every single one like you who comes on here and is open and honest it's preventative medicine on top of a great inspiration. It's preventative medicine for the, for everyone else. And I truly appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been an honor to be on this, uh, this podcast with you guys. It's, it's a big deal to me. And, you know, if there was just one, one person that was inspired or got something from, from this, it's all worth it. Um, if there was, there's more, that would be great. Um, but I'm just, I'm truly honored to be, on with you guys. I appreciate that. It's our pleasure. Where can people follow along with you? You went the extra mile. Mm-hmm. Go put shoes on his back wall. This is exceptional. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I don't even know if they make those anymore. Either of those shoes. No. Um, they don't make the the PDX anymore. And I don't know. They might be phasing out the HSV. The true Hall They've of Fame right there. Shoe coming up. Yeah, Where can people follow you? Uh, they can follow me dad. on Instagram. Yeah, Dynamic Dad on uh, Instagram. I pretty much follow, you know, that that's my main go-to is Instagram, dynamic.dad. You'll see me there. You put some training goods out there as well, so there's some content to be squeezed out of that. It can help others. So, Well, sir, we'll chat tomorrow during our, our uh, planned athlete call again, so we're going to get plenty of each other. But appreciate, I hope to see you uh, out on the Wisconsin today. and Midwest courses. This year. Yeah, man. Um, I was going to tell you guys, if, if y'all are in the Chicagoland area and you want to do a sim, we've got two guys up here and we can throw a heck of a sim party. You're both invited. That's my type of party. <laughs> All right. We're yeah. in. We can talk about shoes. We can, you know, whatever you want. 
It'll be a great time. Well, Callie and I just talked this weekend. We're going to do uh, the North American Champs again, doubles. So we'll have to do a, a sim at some point. So maybe your your locale will be good for High Rock Sim? Absolutely. I've got everything here at the house for it. We're 100% set up for High Rocks right now. So I'm in. I'd love to do it. Yeah. Awesome. You've got a sweet up. space. He's got everything. You just go to his basement. It'd be perfect. Or wherever. Basement? Is it in your basement? It's perfect. Yeah. 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 I'd love to have both of you. It's in stone. All right. Let's end this thing. We're at 206. How's that sound, fellas? We're out of here. Good. Thanks, Hey, guys. guys. Take care.